the commitments of covenant renewal. What difference will it really make? Sometimes that question can discourage us from doing what is right and worthwhile. We ask it a bit flippantly, perhaps feeling a bit sorry for ourselves. What difference will it make if I speak to the boy or girl in my class at school that no one else speaks to? Maybe they don't mind nobody speaking to them. What difference does it make whether I apply my Christian principles to my business dealings or not? No one else seems to be doing it. What difference will it really make for our church to recommit ourselves in covenant to the kingship of Christ, the authority of God's word and obedience to his commandments? We're a small church. Perhaps very few beyond our bounds will notice. It's not going to magic away all the problems in our country. It's not hard to imagine that in the city of Jerusalem in 445 BC, a lot of people were asking the same question. What difference will it really make? The book of Nehemiah tells us about some of the very last things that happen in the Old Testament era uh, before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, just over 400 years later. It wasn't really a very encouraging time for God's people. After the 70-year exile of the Jews in Babylon, God's people have been reduced to, comparatively speaking, a tiny handful of what they used to be as a nation. Maybe somewhere in the region of 50,000 Jews are all that remain of the nation of Israel. They had rebuilt Jerusalem, the the temple, but it was nothing like as grand and glorious a temple as the one in Solomon's day. The land of Judah, the the promised land or what remained of it, is occupied land. It's governed by foreigners, by the Persian Empire. And so friends, in every way, God's people are a shadow of what they used to be. And yet if you read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophecies of that time, which are Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi... What you find is God's people being urged to recommit themselves to the commandments of God and to the faith of their forefathers. And to anyone who would have asked, what difference will it really make? The answer that Nehemiah or Ezra or Haggai would have, would have given was, God sees what the world ignores. God sees what the world ignores. God is pleased when his people seek after him in renewed zeal and humility. We today might be tempted to think, what difference will it really make for us to recommit ourselves in covenant? But friends, God still sees what the world ignores. And it pleases God for us to say, in our generation, when the church may seem so small and feeble, humanly speaking, when the pressures of our culture seem so overwhelming, it pleases God for us to say, We are still committed to the kingship of Christ, to the commandments of God. We still believe in the covenant promises of God. So we are recommitting ourselves afresh to him. Whether the world cares, whether the world follows suit, whether the world pays attention or not. So we look at the covenant renewal ceremony that took place in Nehemiah's day. I want us to notice three features of it, which are also features of our covenant renewal here today. First of all, we see here the compassion and commands of God remembered. 
the compassion and commands of God remembered. And this is really from Nehemiah chapter 8 and somewhat chapter 9 as well. Nehemiah chapter 8 shows us what ultimately led to God's people renewing their covenant commitments to him in chapter 10. If you look at chapter 8 verse 2. Chapter 8 verse 2. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. That's just another word for church or congregation in the Old Testament. Assembly. Both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. And it goes on verse 3. The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And likewise in chapter 9 when it came time for the people to confess their sins. It says that for a quarter of the day. Chapter 9 verse 3. The book of the law of the Lord was read. And then the second quarter of the day was spent in confession of sin. This book of the law may have been the book of Deuteronomy. Other commentators suggest that perhaps it was actually all five books. of uh, The first five books of the Old Testament as we know them today. Uh, either way friends notice where covenant renewal began. It began when God's people paid careful attention to God's word. Uh, chapter 8 verse 7 says that some of the priests helped the people to understand what they heard. They gave them the sense of it were told. So God's word was not only read, it was taught, it was, if you like, preached and explained. And in chapter 8 it says this went on from early morning until midday. See, you only think you've heard long sermons in Dremor. Here's a marathon worship service. But it was a marathon that the people were happy to participate in. They listened and they paid attention to God's word being read and taught. And as the people paid attention friends. They would have heard about the compassion. And the commands of God. As Ezra read perhaps from Deuteronomy. The people would have been reminded of the history of their nation. That's, that's what Deuteronomy does. We saw it a few weeks ago ourselves. When we looked at Deuteronomy 29 and 30. The history of God's people is rehearsed in that book. He reminds them of how he brought them out of the land of Egypt. The exodus, the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. The destruction of their enemies. Explains to them and reminds them how he was the one ultimately who brought them into the promised land. That in itself was was what you might call a minor miracle as well. The, The people of the land in a sense owned the land. They occupied it. They were settled in it. All these pagan nations that were bigger and stronger than Israel. And yet God gave the land into the hands of of his people. He had fed them with manna in the wilderness. He had been so compassionate to them. As the psalmist says in Psalm 103.13. As a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And as Ezra and and, and the other priests presented God's word to God's people, that's what they heard about, friends. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, who fed you with manna in the wilderness, who gave you your land, who forgave your sin over and over again. But then as well as hearing about God's compassion, the people would have been reminded of God's commandments. The Ten Commandments in particular, 
But of course there were 600 other commandments that were still in operation in the days of Nehemiah. Commandments about how to love and respect one another as neighbours. Commandments about sexual ethics and business ethics. Commandments about work and family and money. Commandments about the Sabbath day and the sabbatical year. Commandments about the various religious feasts and ceremonies. By the way, notice that after Ezra reads the law in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, the people celebrate the Feast of Booths, chapter 8, verse 13. Literally, these people hear God's word proclaimed, and as part of that word, they hear about the religious festivities that they are to hold to, and so they immediately put into practice what they, what they had heard. They obey God's word and keep this feast. So friends, we need to appreciate that what comes later in chapters 9 and 10 uh, it's, it's because of what, it's a direct result of what we find here in chapter 8. God's people hearing God's word and being reminded of his compassion and his commandments. And likewise for us today, any commitment we make to God, whether it's personal, uh, and as we do our daily devotions, whether it's denomination-wide, whether it's national, All of it, friends, is a response to the compassion and commands of God. Think how wide-ranging we can apply that principle. How many petty squabbles among professing Christians would be resolved more quickly if the parties involved gave careful time and thought to the experiences and accomplishments of Jesus Christ recorded for us in Scripture. Do our hurts and complaints really compare to the great compassion of Jesus Christ in suffering for us and in giving himself up for us? How much more might we, how much more often might we come to God in prayer if we really gave time to consider what a compassionate God he is? How willing he is to help us? How powerful he is to help us? It's not that more prayer makes problems go away. But as we grapple with those problems, as we bring them to God in the place of prayer, we're reassured of the help of the Holy Spirit that we have. Our hearts are more humbled to consider, what might God be teaching me in this situation? When did we last simply sit and think about something wonderful that we read in God's Word? When did reading about God's goodness and compassion last make you smile? And move you to worship. When did reading God's commandments last make you gulp. As you felt the conviction of his spirit. Boys and girls. And young adults. Which will have more of an impact upon who you go out with. Or who you marry someday. Will it be the words of social media influencers. Or friends in school. Or the characters on TV. Or Will it be the words of God and his words, the commandments of God's word about marriage and sexuality? When we have a moment to ourselves, when we daydream, if we have time to daydream, are we more likely to be thinking about the World Cup or humming the music that we stream or waiting for that friend to return a text? Or are we at all likely to be meditating upon the compassion the covenant mercies of God towards us in Jesus Christ. Covenant renewal begins, friends, with reflecting on God's compassion 
and God's commandments. Secondly, as well as seeing God's compassion and commandments remembered here, we see the sins of God's people confessed. The sins of God's people confessed. Chapter 9 is the longest prayer recorded in the Old Testament. And the purpose of the prayer is for the people to confess their sin. That's the whole point of the prayer. They've heard about the God who rescues, who provided manna in the desert and victory over enemies. The God who established them and provided for them and forgave them and so forth. They've heard about his compassion and commandments. And having heard all of that, friends, the people have no choice but to confess their sins. Look at chapter 9, verse 16. Chapter 9, verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. Notice the way the descriptions are piled on there. Acted presumptuously, stiffened their neck. Did not obey. This is like a list of crimes being read out. Charges being read out against uh, a defendant in the dock in the courtroom. Look at verse 17. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They didn't live with gratitude for God's salvation. They were arrogant and proud and ungrateful and idolatrous. Verse 18 mentions the worship of the golden calf. Verse 26 describes how even after God brought the Israelites into the promised land, verse 26, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets. And it goes on, says they committed great blasphemies. And the people who are making this confession, they're not just pointing to their ancestors, to previous generations of Israelites and saying, look how awful they were. No, friends, they're identifying themselves with the sinful, stiff-necked, hard-hearted attitude of their forefathers. In fact, if you look at Nehemiah 9.33, chapter 9, verse 33, they explicitly acknowledge their own sin. It says, yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. They have no complaints with how God has judged their sin. For you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly we have acted wickedly so there's no holding back here this is not empty religious ritual that the people are going through this is a public worship service the assembly of God's people confessing their sins and what's the result of this confession look at chapter 9 verse 38 notice the words please because of all this Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. So because of all that they have considered from God's word, God's compassion, his commandments, because of their realization of their own sin, what's the logical response? We are going to recommit ourselves in covenant to God. Not doing anything, not taking on any commitments that they shouldn't already have had, but acknowledging afresh that those commitments should be part of their lives. Friends, confession of sin should be a regular and vital part of our prayer life. Again, what's true at an individual level should be true of congregations, of denominations, God willing someday again, even the nation. 
I was saying at our midweek a couple of weeks ago as we thought about covenant renewal, one of the reasons we're doing it, why are we doing it? Well, everything we do as Christians, we obviously believe that it's good and right if everyone was to do it, that everyone should do it. We observe the Sabbath day or, or we, at least we endeavor to and we should do. We believe that everyone should keep the Sabbath day, Christian or non-Christian. That's God's commandment to all people everywhere. And similarly, we confess our sins to God and we believe that it would be good if even the nation confessed sin to God. Do we confess our sins regularly, wholeheartedly, reverently? Raymond has already read out from our covenant commitment quite a list of things today that as a church and as citizens of this country we should be ashamed of. Maybe as you heard that list, it sparked off conviction in your own heart about some of your own personal sins. Maybe there are sins that we should have confessed to God and repented of days ago, even weeks ago. Maybe there are patterns of spiritual laziness or carelessness in our speech or impatience in our parenting. Discontentment in our lives and and they need to be acknowledged and they need to be confessed. Maybe you've been holding a grudge against a fellow believer and you can't even remember why anymore. You've just been cold and closed off to them for no good reason. Maybe you have gifts that could be used in service of your saviour and up until now you've been like that servant burying the one talent in the ground. Friends, covenant renewal provides us with an opportunity to confess our sins, remembering as we do so The the God to whom we confess and how good and gracious he is. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17. You are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Look at verse 31. In your great mercies you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. And some of you likely know well the words of 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. You might ask, how is God just to forgive sins? How is that justice? How can it be right that a holy God pardons sinners like us? Well, it's because, of course, of that one perfect righteous lawkeeper, Jesus Christ who never had any sin of his own to confess and yet offered himself up on the cross in place of our sins, taking the punishment that we deserve, the covenant curses that we deserved. And in doing so, friends, because of his sacrifice, God is just to forgive us our sins. It would be unjust to punish our sins a second time, having punished them already in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never yet ever acknowledged your sin at all. The Bible says we're all born with a natural desire to suppress the truth from the time we're little toddlers. Uh, We have a tendency to excuse sin, to shift the blame, to ignore our sin. But the Bible also says be sure your sins will find you out. There's no hiding your sin from God. But you don't need to. He knows all about it and he has provided a way to deal with it. 
He is gracious to sinners like you. And he is ready and willing to forgive because of Jesus Christ. And boys and girls, the document that your parents are signing today, essentially, that is what it's all about. It's a document for people to sign who have said publicly, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, and I am committed to him. And boys and girls, or anyone else today who won't be signing the, the main covenant document, if you haven't yet asked for forgiveness for your sin, do that today. And enter into what we call a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Trusting him for the forgiveness of your sins. The compassion and commandments of God remembered. The sins of God's people confessed. And thirdly and finally the commitments of God's people declared. The commitments of God's people declared. Again it's worth emphasizing chapter 9 verse 38. Because of all this. Because of God's compassion and our sin, we make a firm covenant in writing. So we see there the reasons that drove them to taking this step. God's compassion and confession of their own sin. And then chapter 10 verses 1 to 27, it lists some of the leaders of the people who signed first. Including of course Nehemiah himself, as well as the priests and Levites. And then just notice chapter 10 verse 28, the rest of the people... The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the temple servants, all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters. Notice this, all who have knowledge and understanding. So that's our grounds for members of the church only today uh, signing the covenant. It's those who have understanding, who know exactly what this covenant entails. And again, boys and girls, that's why there's that sheet for you to sign to say that you saw this happening. And there's that separate sheet for your mums and dads and the members of the church. The rest of chapter 10 then describes what maybe sounds very strange or unimportant to us. But actually, this was very practical for the people. This is the the nitty gritty rubber meets the road of their covenant commitments. The first commitment they make, chapter 10, verse 30 is that there will be no intermarriage between the Israelites and the pagans around them. And as you read Ezra and Nehemiah, you realize that this had become a big issue for the people in that day. And rather than just thinking, oh, silly Israelites in those days, how could they possibly have started intermarrying? How silly they were. Did they not know that that was against God's law? Well, think it through. What might have driven them to do that? They might have had very logical, practical reasons for it. Thinking we're such a small remnant. We're going to die out if we just keep marrying amongst ourselves. We need to keep the line of Abraham going. And so we need to, uh, to marry whoever, whoever will have us so to speak. And keep the, the line of Israel going. It took faith for them friends to believe that God would keep his covenant promises. To keep them alive. To keep them as a separate nation. Holy to him. And they demonstrated that faith with this commitment against intermarriage. There's also a renewed commitment to the Sabbath. Verse 31, again, they would have been under huge pressure to just treat the Sabbath like any other day. It wasn't the Sabbath for all the other nations around them. Bigger nations, more prosperous nations, nations wanting to buy and trade with Israel. 
And if they had, and what had probably happened was the Sabbath had been ignored. In fact, later in Nehemiah we see it clearly had been ignored. And the people had just been treating it like any other day. And so they renew their commitment to the Sabbath. And then in verses 32 to 39 we have all these commitments about how much they're going to give to provide for the Levites and for the sacrifices at the temple. They talk about the shekels and the burnt offerings and the first fruits. And maybe that all seems very foreign to us. But friends, here's the the, the key thing to know about these commitments. These were all commitments that God's word already required of them. God's law already required the Israelites to provide for the Israelites and to give their tithes and to give what was needed for the Levites to do their work. Again, these were all things that they should have been doing and now they vow that they will do them. They promised to give financially in the way that they should do. They promised to give practically in the way that they should do. They promised to worship in the way that they should do. And really all these commitments are summed up in the very last sentence of chapter 10. If you look at verse 39, it's also on the front of your order of service today. We will not neglect the house of our God We will not neglect the house of our God. For these people, the house of God, uh, the place where God's presence dwelt was the temple in Jerusalem, that physical building. That's why rebuilding the temple and appointing the priests and giving to the Levites and so forth, that's why it all mattered. Commitment to the temple was a demonstration of faith in God's promises that God comes to dwell with his people and God's people are to go and meet him with the worship that God commanded. Commitment to the temple was a demonstration of faith in God's words, I will be your God, you will be my people. And hopefully, friends, you're seeing the parallels as we go here. I've said this every week, we are not taking on new commitments when we sign our covenant renewal. What rather we are renewing the commitments that we already have and that we should already have and should be uh, the things that should be priorities in our lives. The authority of scripture, the kingship of Christ over the church and the nations, a desire to live out that commitment practically each day and also commitment to the house of God, which is the visible local church. Maybe you have complaints about the church. Maybe there are people you find difficult in the church. Maybe at times you find commitment to the church tiring and demanding. Maybe you wish at times you saw more fruit in the church. It's easy in our part of the world where the church has great freedom and where there is every type of church you could possibly ask for. It's easy to put the church down. It's easy to see the church's faults. But friends, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. And if we who ourselves are so imperfect, if we see flaws and problems in the church, imagine what our perfect and holy and righteous God must see. And yet what is his attitude to the church? He sent his son to die for the church. He who knew no sin became sin for the church in order that the church might become The righteousness of God. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
And in response to that covenant love, we recommit ourselves today to serving Christ and serving his church. We will not neglect the house of our God. What might that look like practically for you and your family in the days to come? Your pastor, I commend you for the degree of commitment and faithfulness that we as session see here to Lord's Day worship, to the various ministries of the church. But think through perhaps where are the areas that there has perhaps been neglect of the house of God? Has there been neglect of the place of prayer? Have you been neglecting opportunities for fellowship with other Christians? Have you been neglecting to prepare your heart for worship, to come here thoughtfully and reverently on the Lord's day? Perhaps like that tiny remnant in Nehemiah's day, you've been making logical excuses for relationships with the world or from holding back your tithe and offering, your generosity from the house of God. As you recommit in covenant today, dear friend, take this commitment to heart. We will not neglect the house of our God. God sees what the world ignores. May he see us today gladly and wholeheartedly committing ourselves through Jesus Christ to him in renewed covenant zeal. Amen.